This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 9th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The war in Ukraine offers many lessons for social media, most notably what the rules of content moderation ought to be during a war. Cato's Will Duffield recently authored a comment to the Oversight Board, Facebook's Supreme Court. We discussed the laws of war for social media earlier this week. I recently submitted a comment to the Facebook Oversight Board, uh, Meta's sort of Supreme Court, about how platforms should moderate wartime content. And while, yes, the laws fall silent during war, there are separate sets of rules that we've traditionally used to govern or limit combatants' conduct during wartime. And in this comment, I suggest that it's now time for social media platforms to look to these longstanding, sometimes informal laws or rules to inform how they approach content posted by combatants or the supporters of combatants during wartime. All right. So it's not like social media platforms haven't had quite a bit of experience with uh, organized sides of wars trying to use their platforms to communicate in public. Well, I think to an extent, this war in Ukraine has been novel. We've seen a lot of conflicts between state and non-state actors in the past um, or in the social media age, but this is one of the first wars between established states. And what we're seeing here, perhaps the same lesson but presented more clearly as in some of these state-non-state conflicts, is that the rules that platforms have developed for peacetime just don't work very well during war and can even lead to nonsensical or perverse outcomes. Traditionally, content moderation platform rules are intended to prevent physical or emotional harm, full stop. But during wartime, harm is inevitable. Even a, a just war, a, a just side, is going to do harm in, in the process of prosecuting that war. And so when you apply this, this goal of preventing harm to moderating wartime content, you can end up just punishing the most media-reliant combatant um, in, in applying the peacetime rules. To give an example, in the early days of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Patreon, the crowdfunding website, removed a fundraiser for a Ukrainian NGO that would purchase protective equipment and ammunition for Ukrainian troops. Patreon removed this because, in, in its telling, the activities could, could lead to harm or would facilitate harmful activities to, to raise this money for this purpose. However, in the context of war, there's harm already happening. Russia is invading Ukraine, killing its people and its soldiers. And if they are prevented from fundraising for their defense on Patreon, then more harm may come to them. So the traditional goal of platform moderation in this case led to simply closing out one of the combatants from this, this fundraising service as the harm continued to happen on the ground. So what what do we know from the, and I assume, forthright attempts by social media companies to attempt to 
either not get involved or openly choosing a side and saying your communications uh, shall not be moderated <laughs> to such an extent. Yeah. So in in response to this kind of problem, a lot of platforms, particularly Meta, Facebook sort of led led the way here, have responded by making exceptions for Ukrainian or Ukraine-supporting content. Um, they recognize that the traditional rules don't work very well in this situation. But yes, they've tried to back the just or, or correct side, um, allowing, say, Ukrainians to call for the deaths of Russian troops, even though traditionally that would run afoul of the incitement to violence policy. Now, in this case, this has you know, done, done some good work in Ukraine. I think it better fits the way in which people normally communicate during wartime. But it's unsustainable. Um, there's a kind of bright line to Russia's invasion of Ukraine that crossed a recognized border, um, violated the sovereignty of another state. However, not all conflicts are or will be so clear cut. In a case the board is considering right now, there's a war in Ethiopia between um, a rebel group, Tigrayan group, and the, the central government. And there, Facebook has done very little, certainly hasn't made exceptions for either side because it's hard to tell which side has the just cause. Now, ultimately, this, this doesn't do much of anything one way or another if you aren't engaging, if you aren't there. Uh, Facebook will just continue to apply its normal rules in that space, regardless of whether they work very well or fit. So picking and backing the just cause just isn't a model with legs. It can't be applied very widely outside of Ukraine and so can't help to better moderate wartime content elsewhere. It's hard for me to imagine a set of circumstances, and I'm, I'm confident that such a circumstance would exist, where it makes sense for a social media platform to prohibit even the aggressor, the person who is not righteous in their cause, preventing those people from being able to communicate with the public? Well, I, I think ultimately trying to apply one set of rules to both sides is more sustainable and practicable. As well, it, it has a better chance of preventing misbehavior on the ground than just picking a side and supporting them. As we've seen in Russia, Facebook's decision to essentially back Ukraine has led to the platform being deemed a sort of terrorist or dissident organization within Russia. Its services have been banned in one form or another, and fewer Russians, Russian troops, Russian civilians can use Facebook. Um, now, this doesn't just prevent them from accessing news about the conflict, it also makes adhering to Facebook's rules less important to Russians, the Russian government, and Russian combatants. And because the, the need to adhere to the platform's rules in order to stay on it and keep spreading your message can restrain how combatants behave, even on the ground, then 
this is a loss. It means that as much good as Facebook's wartime modified rules can do, they're only going to do it for one side or, or in one place. Um, for example, even as Facebook has relaxed its, its prohibitions on calling for the deaths of Russian troops, it's maintained this provision for POWs. So in Ukraine, even though you can call for the death of Russian soldiers fighting in combat, you can't say kill all the prisoners. Facebook will bounce you for that. And this has had an effect on how uh, Ukrainian soldiers have talked about the conflict, the sorts of threats they'll make to those on, on the other side. In one case, a sort of no-quarter threat from a group of Ukrainian special forces was very quickly withdrawn and then replaced with a video of them treating a prisoner well, according to the Geneva Conventions, in order to run avoid running afoul of these rules. However, because Facebook has picked one side and isn't as available in Russia, this restraint isn't acting on Russian troops in the same way. And I, I think that's a shame if there's, well, while we can't prevent harm full stop in war, we can't expect platforms to prevent harm full stop, maybe they can prevent some wartime abuses by restricting how platform, how combatants can advocate or, or speak about them. And that that low-hanging fruit is is what we should go for. What evidence is there that social media platforms have learned the right lessons uh, from either the Ukraine conflict or the conflicts that have uh, preceded it? Well, I, I think so far they're still very much in a learning phase, um, figuring out how or, or what to do about this. But the war in Ukraine has brought a lot more visibility to how platforms moderate during wartime. Um, you know, unfortunate as it may be, people are just much more interested in the war in Ukraine than in many other conflicts happening around the world. Other conflicts feel further away. We don't know as many people involved. And so we've the, the war in Ukraine has really brought a magnifying glass to these practices and pushed platforms to update. Now, what I think you'll see going forwards is pressure on platforms to apply the sorts of exceptions or models that we've seen used in Ukraine to other conflicts elsewhere. And so getting the right model coming out of this, um, something that seeks to apply the laws of war, prohibitions on violations of the laws of war to all combatants rather than just picking a side, it's crucial to get that right. And so while platforms should use these laws of war, this traditional constraints as a guide, they can't always apply them unthinkingly. There are some prohibitions that simply don't fit within the, the social media context very well. For instance, the laws of war have long prohibited displaying or parading prisoners. Now, traditionally, captured POWs might be marched through the, the streets of the victor's city, and you know people would jeer at them. They might throw things at them. It was a really nasty and sometimes dangerous experience. Posting photos of POWs online is very different. While they might be exposed to verbal vitriol, no one's throwing tomatoes or bricks at them, 
And crucially, the audience is much, much broader. So while the old POW parade could only be viewed by the residents of the Victor City, when footage is posted online of POWs captured, being marched away, their loved ones and relatives at home can verify that they're still alive, that they were captured whole and in good health, and can then hold their captors to account later if something happens to them or, or they're harmed. And so the prohibition on parading, uh, while we could see applying it to pictures on social media, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to do so because those pictures aren't creating the same harms as the parade, and in fact, may do some good that the parade never would. Will Duffield is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 